Harrison Price for Thursday, August 31st, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arborly here at the Iconic Wall Center downtown Vancouver. If you're visiting Vancouver or want a place by the airport, we suggest the Western Wall YVR. Get some rest, relaxation in those plush heavenly beds. Mansa Harris alongside Jeff Patterson, Tim Asfar, hitting switches, conducting things for a vacation in Grady Sass. And this show... A presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Richmond. And try the 23 cash guy from ninety from $76 weekly, the 23 Rogue from $99 weekly, or the 23 Frontier from $644 monthly. Because J Pat. It's all good, Matt. At Applewood. Indeed it is. Bodog poll question today. Do you still believe in the Canucks core? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. Hey, a Whitecaps draw in New York City pays plus 265 Saturday, plus 250 if you like them to win outright on your Bodog line of the day. More on them in a moment. Another good, good win for the Caps on the road. How are we doing? Yeah, we made it. We made it to the end of August. Labor Day weekend, and then we get the avalanche of, of sports in September. Indeed. So I believe as of tomorrow, Farhan Lalji will sanction all hockey talk. Ah, okay, good. He's gotten on us a little bit about that during August. As you know, his line, I like hockey nine months a year, and August isn't one of them. Uh, we're asking this poll question yesterday in light of the Rick Talkett interview with Ian McIntyre of Sportsnet, and his comments about the core and – he said some of this at the end of last year, Jeff, but he's reinforced it here in this preseason interview with Sportsnet. Just going to read the quote here and we'll move on from there. They're very talented players. They've had success individually and points wise, but they know it's not so much the individual stuff as team goals. Are they willing to sacrifice certain parts of their game for the team? That's something I really believe they have in them. Everybody's tired of losing. You hear everybody say that. That's okay to say, but what are you doing to change the narrative? These are the things I challenge the players on. You're tired of losing, but what are you doing about it? When I talk to the leadership group, they're not talking about goals and assists. They're talking about changing the narrative. Now it's the actions. What are you doing to change the narrative? Look, I still very much believe in the talents of Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, and if you want to put JT Miller on the list as core, fair enough. I think we do have a year-to-year worry now about Thatcher Demko's workload and injury situation. We've seen enough of that. And, of course, we got to worry now beyond this season with Elias Pettersson, and does he want to be here? Is the organization going to do enough winning to convince him to resign? Last year, JT Miller came into camp, as you'll recall, Jeff saying all the right things about wanting to be a better defensive player, wasn't as concerned about his 99-point season. Not necessarily sure that was put into practice last year. I do think a little bit of it is on the team in that I just don't think he's best suited to play center, at least not the defensive side of the puck at center ice. I believe in the core, but we're starting to see some cracks here. I think if you look back one year ago, 
there would have been more confidence in the Canucks score than there is right now. Is that fair? Yeah, pro sports is fluid, though. And a year ago, Bo Horvat was part of the core. Fair. And he's not here anymore. And so you're right. I think it starts by defining the core. And I would put JT Miller in that mix. He's part of the leadership group. The leadership group and the core can be different. Although here in Vancouver, I think you're talking about the same guys. It wasn't well, that long Chris ago. Banco, I think, can be core, but not. Le- sure. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. The Brock Besser would have been considered part of the core. But I think when we're talking about the core, you're looking at the three key component parts that you mentioned because they each play a different position on this hockey club. And it's interesting because Jay Fresh Hockey a week ago had a list of the top 10 players by position in the National Hockey League. And the Vancouver Canucks were one of three teams, Matt, that had a top 10 center, a top 10 defenseman, and a top 10 goalie. Only three teams. Who Tampa, are the others? Yeah. Tampa. Stan Sarisen. And the Florida Panthers. And, you know, before the playoffs, Bobrovsky wasn't making anybody's top 10 list. Right. But his performance in the playoffs, I suppose, brought him back into uh, focus as one of the top goaltenders. Was that Kachuk as a winger and Barkov as a center? Uh, or Barkov as a center in Florida? Yeah, uh, I'd have to go back and look. Okay, don't worry about uh, it. But it was, uh, well, and again, they were one of the teams that had a, a forward, a defenseman, and a goaltender. So yeah, uh, so either Barkoff or Kachuk in, yeah. in one of the center wing categories. Look, Elias Patterson's a very good defensive player. Quinn Hughes has worked dutifully on his defensive game. He's a much better defender than he once was you'll remember that one year where he was dash whatever he was and came back and yeah. said look i'm embarrassed by this that's got to change and he's put his money where uh, where his mouth is uh you know as mentioned i think miller has some challenges but it's not just playing both sides of the puck that i think talkett is getting at i think he's also getting at just not standing losing anymore not letting that become culture become habit accountability I suspect is something else that he's talking about here. And of course, you know, now if you're Patterson or your Hughes, you are part of that leadership group. You're not towing Bo Horvat's line or anything like that. You're now responsible for getting on guys in practice or off the ice or in film sessions and making sure that there are standards being held to. And Look, there were some pretty good returns from the 30 games that Rick Tockett coached last year. I am somebody who does believe, and I know we have this debate a little bit, J-Pat, you and Blake aligning against me, but I do believe some of what Tockett was putting in place last year, you know, eating pucks, winning wall, winning wall battles, those sorts of things will be lasting. That some of that was rooted last year and should carry over to this year. Of course, proof will be in the pudding in October and that home-and-home to start the year with Edmonton. Sure, and I think the danger for the Vancouver Canucks is that, you know, we talk about do you believe in this core, much like in Toronto, they've got their core individually. Those guys have all stepped up and performed, and Austin Matthews is now going to be the highest-paid player in the NHL for a short while till he gets passed, but, you know, it's hard to look at that team and say, hey, getting out of the first round for the first time in forever represents any kind of success. So, you're right. I think it is this mentality now. It's, you know, is Elias Pettersson, like, he's talented enough to have another 100-point season. But he showed last year that 102 points ultimately meant nothing when the team finishes with 83 points. So, 
you know, are they going to play lower scoring games with Tockett? Yeah, I think they probably will. I think there'll be fewer seven, six and six, five games that, you know, in the moment are fun, they're entertaining and they help guys pad their stats. But ultimately, I think Rick Tockett wants them to focus on different details than Bruce Boudreaux to uh, tighten things up, obviously. And at the end of the night, if they score three, but they give out two, then that is seen as a success because ultimately that's going to uh, yield results that you know will help them. And if they get enough of those results, then maybe they can knock on the door of being a playoff team. So uh, I believe in the core. Like I, I still individually and collectively, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you that Thatcher Demko, there's a little bit of an injury history there now that concerns me. But when he's on, yeah. as he was, you know, after he came back from injury, the bubble, uh, the year before when he played a ton, unfortunately played too much, and ultimately that led to injury. But when he's on, mm-hmm. and we saw it two seasons ago, he got a Vesna vote. You know, I, I think he's capable of getting more of those this year, especially behind a better, yeah, structured team defensively. Which is why it is so critical that Arthur Silos or Spencer Martin are able to step up, play enough games, and win enough games. Mm-hmm. Jay Pat, one of your favorite pet projects that the backup goaltender does need to win you what 10 to 15 games yeah, right so. uh to be part of the solution and 83 points for the canucks last year that was 12 off the final playoff competitor the winnipeg jets who were the second western conference wildcard at 95 points the four um pacific teams all cracked 100 last year including the seattle kraken I want to get to a couple of other things. Oh, including yesterday's Bodog poll question. Is the lack of practice facility holding the Canucks back? Got a thousand votes on this. Jeff, yes or no? What do the people say? Uh, people said yes. Correct. Percentage? 62? 69. Oh. And we'll talk more about the responses to this later in the show on To the People We Go. There's a couple here. Cap Space, Andy, I believe 28 other teams have one. It's weird if your team doesn't have a practice facility. So the answer is yes. It's actually 30 teams, Andy. It's just the Canucks and Flames. And then Al says, that's a lame excuse. Yes, they should have a practice facility, but it's not or shouldn't be holding them back. I came across this yesterday on Twitter from an account I really enjoy following, Big Head Hockey. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, with yeah. that one. They do a little caricatures, cartoons yep. of NHL players excuse me, of NHL players. Guys who, it's a three-part tweet looking back on the history of Jim Benning. Players and picks traded from the Canucks during Jim Benning's tenure. Jared McCann, Gustav Forsling, a ninth overall, became Dylan Gunther. A 20th overall became Shakir Mukhamadoulin. A second-round pick that became Rasmus Anderson in Calgary. Forgot a second-round pick that became Philip Gustafson. He's turned out okay now. Uh, Four other second-round picks, two other third- and fourth-round picks. Remaining pieces from those deals, Connor Garland, JT Miller, Tanner Pearson. He's got Stanika on the list because he was acquired from Boston in part with the Swedish defenseman Mirenberg that was drafted a couple of years ago says Jim Benning must have absolutely hated the idea of Vancouver being a successful team. Guys who left the Canucks for no assets during his tenor, tenure, Tyler Toffoli, Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom, OEL, Alex Edler, Dan Hamhuis, Troy Stetcher. Guys he signed in free agency for too much money. Or Adam 
battle left. Yes, true. Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Tucker Pullman, Tyler Myers, Braden Holpe, Michael Furlan, Tim Schaller. Remember him? Oh, yes. Derek Dorsett. It's just wild to look at this resume, Big Head Hockey concludes. Benning's moves were generationally insane. We knew all this. Just to see it in one spot, though, to go down those lists, got to be very, very troubling for Vancouver Canucks fans. And, of course, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford are still digging out of it. Like, they've been on the job long enough that they've got to take responsibility. Everybody inherits a hand unless you're an expansion GM. Sure, but the OEL buyout goes until 2031. I mean, the ghosts of OEL and Jim Benning are going to hover over this team for the remainder of this decade. Mm. Speaking of a decade, it was a decade ago when we thought, boy, that Cassian kid, my, he had a very good 2013-2014. Skates well with for, a a, big for a big guy. Jeff, he's only Toughness. 32 years old. He's on a PTO in Anaheim announced today after spending last year with the Arizona Coyotes. And I'm not sure I've ever seen this. He played 51 games. He scored two goals. He had no assists. Yeah, he had 50 penalty minutes in those 51. That's not terribly productive, is it? And a minus 18. Two goals in 51 games. He was 19 points and six goals in 58 games with the Oilers before that. And there's also a little bit of news today around Emily Castengay, Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager. Uh, she's sitting on a panel here. Jeff, tell us the story. Yeah, Hockey Canada has convened uh, a summit. Hockey Canada likes its summits. Um, this one is... Likes its summits. Maybe staring at a royal commission. Well, there's that too, I suppose. Um, this one is more around um, you know, improving the game off the ice, removing sort of some of the toxicity uh, that has plagued the game, and Hockey Canada has uh, been part and parcel uh, of all of that. And so Emily Castengay, the assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, has, uh, yeah, she has been asked to sit on as one of the panelists for this uh, summit that's taking place, not this weekend, but uh, the following weekend in Calgary. And they brought in some experts in the field. They brought in a number of speakers. Sheldon Kennedy is going to be involved in all of that as well. Uh, of course, it raised a few eyebrows in hockey circles because Emily Castengay of course, is at the center of a human rights complaint by mm -hmm. a former employee of the Vancouver Canucks. And so, I mean, I, I think those that are wondering, it's fair to wonder, like there were lots of candidates to come speak on a panel That's like it. this one. Mm -hmm. Was Hockey Canada, did they forget? Were they not aware? Did they know and just forge forward anyway? So the Hockey News has released a statement here. Yeah, and the hockey news is just wondering if uh, you know this was the best choice of panelists on this very topic, given the fact that uh, this human rights complaint yeah. uh, against Emily Castingay, uh is out there. And it was about a year ago where the matter with Rachel Dory, Patrick Alvin, and Emily Castingay began and ultimately came to a head, and it will be some time yet, I think, years before we hear anything more from this human rights complaint and the provincial commission moving on J Pat to the white caps. I said, we yeah. talked. Yeah. I said, we talk about them 
After a huge one nothing victory in Chicago, they improved to fifth place in the Western Conference. They're one point behind Houston with a game in hand. Heck, they're three points behind third place Seattle with two games in hand. Amazing. Ryan Gold becomes the Whitecaps' all-time assist leader in MLS with his 23rd. He has been so good. He's been yeah. s- sensational, oh. and especially because like not long ago, he was coming off a pretty good knock there. He was not fully health- healthy. It's the first three-game winning streak of the year for the Caps, and it snapped a 14-game home unbeaten streak for the Chicago Fire. I know road wins are tough to come by in MLS. A lot of teams try to rack up points at home, and then, you know, what they get on the road is gravy, all of that. Matt, this is the first time the Whitecaps have won back-to-back road matches in six years. Since 2017. Brian White with his 10th goal of the season. He's coming on strong. He is. We said these were gettable games right off the top. Portland's Mm -hmm. having an offseason for Portland. Uh, They got the win in there the other night. Should we game into Chicago? Chicago's competitive, but yeah, in a hold, weaker hold down the last playoff spot in the East. So again, not world beaters. And then yeah. there's New York City, who's 13th in the East, and that's the next stop for Vanny Sartini in the traveling road show. Followed by Toronto. That's a complete tire fire. Absolutely. This year. Um now New York City will be desperate for a win to stay in the Eastern Conference playoff chase because the fact of the matter is it is such a weak field there towards the bottom that they're not out of it yet but two games of a seven game road trip and maximum six points well done white caps fc and we'll see how vanny manages the roster manages the bench in the lineup here going forward because no rest for the wicked they are playing a lot of games in a short period of time but fantastic stuff from the caps last night in the city of big shoulders. The BC Lions are in Montreal Saturday for a rare Labor Day weekend game. We have become accustomed to the Lions having a bye on Labor Day with no natural geographic rival, but the CFL, for whatever reason, decided to dispense with the Ottawa-Montreal rivalry here and put the Leos in La Belle Province. Jalen Edwards-Cooper continues to miss practice, so it's going to look like Mike Jones, the former Alouette on the wide corner, Chris Luger limited at practice. Darrell Broxton returned from an injury last week. So you might have both your left tackles ailing a little bit here. And of course, Vernon Adams, a longtime Montreal Alouette, and I'm sure he will be primed to play before the fans that used to cheer him on and particularly off a two-game losing streak. The Seattle Seahawks set their roster on NFL cutdown day. Really no huge surprises there. It's more about the week one lineup for the Seahawks now. Rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba has practiced full go the last couple of days after coming off wrist surgery. Certainly caught the eye of head coach Pete Carroll. We don't know for sure he's going to play in week one. Devin Witherspoon, the rookie first round corner, fifth overall pick in the draft has a hamstring injury. They haven't declared a, a starter at left cornerback. And of course, and I'm seeing this a lot from Seahawks fans, there is worry about the run defense, which did not hold up last year, even after bringing Jaron Reed back to play in the middle of that defensive line. You talk Seahawks actually a little bit uh, later in the program. Mm -hmm. Don't want to give it away here. 
Uh, an extraordinary development today in Major League Baseball. Buster Olney, the esteemed ESPN baseball writer, has called it a board game flip. You know when someone just gets so angry and they flip the board game? Artie Marino, Los Angeles Angels owner, after going all in at the trade deadline a month ago to try and make up ground in the wild card race and ultimately convince Shohei Otani that they're competitive and he should resign there this winter in free agency. Well, it looks like Artie Moreno has had a temper tantrum and he's looking to shed some money. And they went about waving a number of their players today, including Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, two pitchers they acquired at the deadline from the Chicago White Sox, outfielder Hunter Renfro, relief pitcher Matt Moore, outfielder, former Blue Jay, Randall Grichuk, Giolito, Lopez, and Moore all claimed by Cleveland, who are chasing Minnesota and hoping to get in in what is a very weak AL Central. Renfro off to the Cincinnati Reds, who also claimed Harrison Bader, who was waived by the New York Yankees. So a couple of big market Teams that are underachieving, Yankees and Angels, are now dispensing with some of these veterans, saving a month's salary, I guess. And in Marino's case, as many are saying on social media now, he's going to affect playoff races well, with this decision. But like you shouldn't be able to flood the waiver market and have teams that are still in the hunt you know, able to load up at this. I mean, that's what the trade deadline is effectively for. And then... You know, at that se- at that point, generally rosters transactions right. are set because Major League Baseball dispensed with the non waiver trade deadline that they used to have that ran through the end of August. Like That's 30, no more. There's a month to go. There's thirty essentially thirty games remaining in the season here. So this isn't like the Angels are turning off the lights with a week to go in the season. They are essentially flooding the waiver market here with plenty of time still for teams that have a chance to make a late push. Maybe he's counting every penny because he's going to need them to resign. Shohei Otani. I I would imagine you were going to hear more grumbling about this. I I do wonder whether Major League Baseball will look into this going forward. Because as you say, as you say, Jeff, this completely, I mean, Cleveland got three pitchers here for free. Well, I mean, they're they're paying them for the last month, but no, you know, with no trade cost, right? No acquisition cost. No acquisition cost. Cincinnati got a couple of outfielders here again, just the one from the Angels, but in their playoff push as well. So you have to think the Minnesota Twins and some of the direct competitors in the NL Central as well would already are on the phone with Major League Baseball saying, "What in God's name is this? We've never seen anything like this." Talk more about the Jays and Seattle Mariners. In hashtags, a reminder, tomorrow you've got the basketball, Canada, Brazil. It's a 6 a.m. tip-off from the FIBA World Cup in Asia. Let's get to today's menu, brought to you by De Dutch. De breakfast, de brunch, de lunch, get it all at De Dutch. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including the Raptors, a dark horse for Giannis. Very interesting. Rob Williams, Rob, the hockey guy, the national sports editor of the Daily Hive, will stop by. We talked to him about our Bodog poll question in the Canucks core about the power play coaching arrangement that Rick Tockett has outlined this week. 
what happened with the scoreboard at Rogers Arena this week? The new one that postponed the Drake concert. And of course, Andre Kuzmenko's Bali adventure. Then we'll go to the people. Your hot takes, your tell me I'm wrong, never a bad time to send them in. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. Email live at scaresomeprice.com. Of course, Twitter at price. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our peach iced tea. We'll keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Kia Langley, Applewood Kia Surrey, and Applewood Kia Richmond. We invite you to try out the 2023 Nero. This is the electric vehicle from Kia. Finance 6.49% up to 84 months. You can get in it for less than $45,000. That's why they say it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today asking you, do you still believe in the Canucks core? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog line of the day from me. I'm going to take the seven and a half points with Saskatchewan Sunday in the Labor Day Classic Prairie Edition, mostly because I like the number seven and a half. I often take seven and a half points in football games on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now by Rob Williams, Rob the Hockey Guy, the national sports editor of the Daily Hive and its offside sports vertical. Rob, how we doing? Doing great, fellas. How are you? Yeah, well, uh, looking forward to hockey season here. Jeff, can he can see it, he can hear it, he can smell it, he can taste it. <laughs> Any minute now, hockey's going to begin in earnest. Looking forward to that. First things first, answer me the poll question. Insightful interview, I thought, from Rick Tockett with Ian McIntyre this week. And one of the things that he talks about is the core and how they've all been good players and how they all individually have put up, you know, some interesting point totals and got some accolades there. But can they be that sort of core that does everything, even if it means some personal sacrifice to win? So we're asking our Bodog poll question. Do you still believe in the Canucks core? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that the, the problem at least last year, the problem was not with the Canucks core, it was with everything else, right? Like Quinn Hughes had the best season of his career. Elias Pettersson had the best year of his career. Thatcher Demko did not, and, you know, mostly due to injury. Um, but I don't think, you know, if we're, especially if we're looking at those three core guys, I mean, I think those guys are pros, pros that, that play the game hard, play the game the right way. Um, they're not, you know, Pettersson and Hughes are not guys that, uh, you know, are just out to pad their stats. Um, so yeah, I, I have I have a ton of confidence in those guys. Now, I guess maybe the the question is the secondary core, right? Like 
JT Miller, Brock Besser, you know, you start to get it into those. There's a few more question marks there, I think, in whether you believe in them or not. But in general, I think they just, they haven't been given the supporting cast to really, you know, to really get it done. So we're, I think we're going to find out this season, like, have they surrounded these players with enough stability, enough, like, reliable guys, guys that can kill a penalty, win a face-off, do things like that. Um, and if they if they have, I think they're in, they're going to be in a position to to make the playoffs for the first time since 2020. Yep, uh, Demko's health and and Pedersen's desire to be here long term, I think, are two things that we'll be watching um, with the core uh, going forward. You heard our uh, or you saw the um, answer Talkit gave on the power play this year, Rob, and who's going to run it? And the answer is well kind of Sergei Gonchar, but really it's a committee approach to the power play involving the Twins talking and the players themselves. Thoughts on that? Yeah, that that answer really made my eyebrow raise. And I, I you know, the Canucks had talked about this uh, before, I think when they said that the Sedins were going to be more involved in the power play, we didn't really get this level of detail. And for me, it's like, okay, so it's Gonchar, but he's not there full time. And then it's the Sedins, like those are two people, remember, like, and then Talkit's going to be running it sometimes as well. Um, like, are they going to bring the iPad on the ice for, the, you know, <laughs> a road game in Minnesota when the power play's struggling and everybody's not on the trip? Like, that does seem problematic to me. Like, that's a that's a very important role for a coaching staff and to not have one person really owning that, uh, you know, I guess it remains to be seen how much Gonchar is going to be with the team, but, you know, I don't think this is a, an area where they should be messing around and, and not having someone dedicated to it. I, I think that if players start hearing, you know, four voices potentially on what they're doing and, and how they should be getting things done. Like I want someone that lies awake <laughs> you know that can't sleep that's that's thinking about power play you know 24 hours a day like I, to me that's the the kind of job that this is typically is and to start having a you know a committee running it like maybe it's gonna be fine anyways they've got good players and and certainly Gonchar and the Sedins have you know they've forgotten more about the power play than I'll than I'll ever know right but but I'd like to have one person that, that really owns it if Newell Brown laid awake at night thinking <laughs> about the power play a, f- a few times, you would have to, to come up with that drop pass. Hey, if, if they're running this power play by committee and they're taking suggestions, then uh, how do you think they go about filling the Bo Horvat role? I mean, they never really did. Beauvillier got a little bit of a look there and he scored three power play goals, but Bo was such a huge part of their power play. Uh, I don't know. To me, that's one of the things that I'm going to be watching closely starting on day one of training camp is, you know, the formation, we can talk about how many cooks are in the kitchen, but what about the guys that are actually on the ice? Who's going to be in the bumper? Yeah, I mean, I think they they probably have to rein, reinvent it a little bit, right? Like, I don't think you can just slide Anthony Beauvillier in there and say, go be Bo Horvat and expect the same results. Um, do you throw a, a right shot guy in, in, in there and then maybe, you know, maybe more of the power play runs through Pedersen? Right. And that and that he can set that guy up for for one timers. And that gives you a different option there. Be tough to do because Miller's been so great on the power play. I don't think you'd want to diminish his role in any way. But I think that's an option. 
you know, so do you throw a guy like Brock Besser in there? Do, you know, does Kuzmenko slide into the in, into the bumper in, instead of the net front? But he's been so good at the net front. I I think there's going to be yeah. I, I short answer is I I have no idea what they're going to do. But there's so many there's got so many different options. Um, and I think they have to be open to to different ideas uh, with that unit. Seven different guys on the committee are all going to have seven different ideas <laughs> on how to uh, how to run this thing this year. Hey, you mentioned Kuzmenko. Milstein was on this program earlier in the week. Uh, what did you make of uh, his suggestion that there was a fair bit of pushback from the Canucks with uh, Kuzmenko and his world travels uh, this off season? Yeah, you know what? I, that was something I immediately thought of, like when when the when Milstein started sharing the photos of, of uh, Kuzmenko's setup in Bali, I just thought, man, like if, and especially and it's not just Bali, right? Like he's been around the world. He, he went to, you know, he went to the Middle East. He went to South America. He's, he's, he's been nonstop traveling. I think he's in South Florida. Had a Florida good summer. Had a Sounds good like summer. an awesome summer, right? Like a pretty good spring too. So, um, but all I could think of is like, man, like old school hockey guys, you know, of which there are a few in, in the Canucks organization, they're in every organization. Like if he doesn't have a good start, like it's all coming down on him for, for his, you know, for whatever he was doing this summer, it's going to get blamed rightly or wrongly. I, I you know, I'm not going to speak for, for the setup, but, you know, it sounds like they went the extra mile to, to ensure that he had everything he needed, but man, oh man, does he, like, I feel like he's, he's putting himself you know, he's putting a target on his back here, right? Like doing something this unconventional for, for an NHL player and being so, you know, so pu- public about it, sharing it on social media. We just don't see hockey players do that. I, I, I wish hockey wasn't like that. I, I wish everyone had like a, a phenomenal summer like this and, and was as interesting as Kuzmenko is. But you know that's there. Like, you know that that's going to be the talking point with, with fans are going to talk about it. You know, I think people in the organization are going to talk about it. I think there's a target on his back. So you, you better have a great start. Well, he looks fit. Can I you... mean, give him that much. And I, I will say it's important to remember, too, guys, that for geopolitical reasons, like he didn't have a home base right. this offseason. That, that's... So going home was never an option. You got to go somewhere. Hey, right. Valley looked all right. I, I just, can you imagine the sort of, chain of communication here where it becomes known he's going to Bali and you know people are reporting up like talk at reporting to Alvin and Rutherford like he's going to Bali what's wrong with Muskoka why not Kelowna Lake of the Woods there's plenty of great places here why does he have to go so far oh you're but quite it's, right it's just it, so perfect though with talk it and talking non-stop about gonna need a great, great summer. summer gonna need a great <laughs> summer and then it's like Hey Andre, what's like? What are you planning to do in the off season? Like, you can't go home, but like, what are you gonna do? And he's like, Well, I'm gonna go. You know, I'm gonna go to Venezuela. And I'm gonna go to Brazil. <laughs> I'm gonna go to you know. I'm gonna go to Dubai. I mean, I'm gonna set up shop in Bali. Just gonna spend a few months there. And, and I don't think talk it. Uh, I don't think that's exactly what he had in mind. Yeah, uh, you were on scoreboard and Drake beat all week. Rob Williams, what happened at Rogers Arena that had the scoreboard? postponing a drake show guys i had the day off on monday when when they uh, the postponement came down and i was like man like of all the day like this is my day like the the scoreboard causes drake's concert to be postponed i tried to get as much information as i could to for follow-ups on this there was a lot of information leaking out. I don't know. We did see a photo with like, apparently like beams out of place. I don't know if there's any validity to, to the scoreboard actually being broken. I heard somewhere else that it was, 
that uh, that it was just a technical difficulty with the scoreboard talking to the to the other equipment. I don't know. I don't know where the truth lies there, but I did think I, I was watching with uh, great anticipation and great uh, interest to see if it was going to get postponed again on Tuesday because I saw there were people waiting in line. Like the concert was scheduled to start at eight o'clock, and people people are in line. I guess. I saw some tweets where people were like, they couldn't, they still weren't opening the doors. It was seven thirty, and I was like, oh boy, here we go again. But by all accounts, mm-hmm. it looked like uh, it looked like everything went off with, without a hitch with uh, Drake, and he, you know, had two concerts at Rogers Arena, wearing a Stromile Swift Grizzlies jersey. That, I thought that was a good look as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, it looked looked like a looked like a good time. I, I didn't see a lot of belly aching uh, because of the postponement. You may have seen more than I did, but like we were talking about it, we were talking about it earlier in the week. Like if you had come into town for this, if you had hotel reservations or something like that, gosh, that's quite an inconvenience to have to wait around forty eight hours. Well, did you see the video of like the Rogers Arena staffer out out talking to the fans, breaking the news yeah. to them? Uh, they were ready to revolt. <laughs> that was I it. missed that one. Yeah, no, that was t- they were ready to they were ready to um, uh, attack the messenger on that one. They, they, that, that was a that was a hard message to deliver to, mm-hmm. to people. But yeah, no, yeah, like what do you, what do you do? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would have uh, would have flown in for this from other places or dr- driven in or taken the ferry in, and and yeah, that's two more nights in a hotel. That's two more days off work. Like that's that's a that's a tough one if you had tickets for uh, for that first show. Lastly, Rob Williams, we have incontravenable proof that Vancouver is a Blue Jays town, Jeff Patterson. <laughs> Tell us about the survey this week and what it spit out with regards to the baseball teams of interest in these parts. Right. Uh, study conducted by Research Co. Uh, discovered, so I guess they you know, talked to... 800 adults in, in BC asked them if they were who their favorite MLB team was, or if they were an MLB fan at all, or they, they even got into like, would you support like Vancouver getting an MLB team, which is, I, those are always funny answers to me. Cause like, of course, like, why wouldn't you just say yes? I, it's funny to me that people are like, that are like against it or something I'm like this. It's exactly right. So like, yeah. Would you buy season tickets? Sure. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> right. It's only when they come to you for the public handout for the facility, then then it costs you something to say yes. But for survey purposes, it's all theoretical. You can say yes. That's right. So 41% of respondents said that they did have a favorite MLB team and 32% of the 41% said their favorite team was the Blue Jays. So that's, you know, 78% of the people that had a favorite baseball team, it was the Blue Jays. Mariners were well back. So Blue Jays were 32% of the 41%. The Mariners were 6% of the 41% with 3%. No, Mariners aren't well back where it matters the most. That's all I know. <laughs> well put, J-Pat. Yeah, and of course, Mariners beat the Blue Jays in the playoffs last year, and I got a sneaky suspicion they're going to the playoffs while the Jays are going home at the end of the regular season. Yeah, and 3% said they're a fan of other teams outside of the Jays and Mariners. We're a fan of yours, Rob Williams. Thanks for the time here today. We'll catch up next week. Sounds great.
Singer's Price from Wall Center, presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And let's get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. Jeff Patterson, what you got? Uh, Stephen Wino at S. Wino, who covers the National Hockey League for the Associated Press. I think he's based in Washington. Carl Hagelin has announced his retirement, saying his eye injury has become too severe to continue playing hockey. Hagelin hasn't played since taking an errant stick to the left eye at a Capitals practice back in March of 2022. So, uh, 35 years of age. The end was probably near for Hagelin. All the speed in the world. A couple of Stanley Cups. Interesting. Well, a couple of things. One is a four-year player at the University of Michigan, one of the early you know, a Swede to come over and play NCAA hockey, uh, but also had 38 points, Matt, in his rookie season. Never topped it. Really? Never topped that. That was his yes to resistance. Yeah. 30. All, all that speed as the game got faster, he would have thought he would have fit right in there somewhere. Again, was a good player, but uh, yeah, was never able to crack more than the 38 he put up as a rookie. At offside DH, and of course, we got Rob Williams on the show today, but different direction here. Raptors viewed by an NBA exec as a, quote, dark horse for landing Giannis. So, and of course, this is the NBA, Jeff. So, of course, Giannis does an interview where he suggests he could wind up playing somewhere else Mm -hmm. other than Milwaukee at some point later in his career. Uh, This is Heavy.com's Sean Devaney, who says at least one NBA executive labeled the Raptors as a dark horse to eventually land Giannis. Quote, I think you can't rule out those kinds of teams. The executive said Giannis has always carried himself like he's all about winning, like that is what matters most to him. He's a little different. I mean, this that is a reputation anyway. If that is really the case, then wouldn't he want to go play for Greg Popovich in San Antonio, play alongside Wemby there? If Toronto can give up only one of its guys and bring back Giannis, they would really have something there. I thought Toronto might be giving up one of its guys for Damian Lillard, but there's a suggestion here that maybe a Pascal Siakam-centered trade could be enough at some point to land uh, the great Greek, Giannis. You know, it's funny when you think back to the Grizzlies days here and how many guys didn't want to be in Vancouver and didn't want to be in Canada. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that has softened somewhat in the fact that the Raptors have proven that they can win. But you've got an international superstar who may not uh, sort of hold that same view of, oh, my God, playing in Canada outside of the great U.S. of A. And maybe that works in their favor. So... Uh, yeah, dark horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's an important qualifier there in that. Uh, Very phrase, much so. But yeah, that was sort of the Brian Colangelo model going back almost 20 years now with the Raptors that if you went out and got the international stars, they would be far more likely to be happy, agreeable and re-sign in Toronto and stay in Canada for the rest of their careers. So and we've seen a great influx of fantastic international players, including Giannis, including Wembayama. So. We shall see where it all goes. Uh, and you do wonder whether a shoe is going to drop here with Damian Lillard at some point and whether that involves the Raptors. Masai Ujiri has made big swing trades in the past. Did you see this? This is from the NCAA's official account. Volleyball history hmm. in Nebraska. 90,000 people. 92,003 fans rallied. For a new world record for women's sport last mm-hmm. night, they had a volleyball court set up uh, in the football stadium. And I didn't realize this. Nebraska apparently is the hotbed of volleyball. 
It's America's hotbed of volleyball. And they went out and they packed the place 92,000 plus to watch women's volleyball. I, I it's didn't, an incredible spectacle. Uh, so was it just come and help us set the record? Was there any other promotion going on here? Was there any other sort of hook or it was just, it's an outdoor volley, volleyball game in a football stadium and we want to break the record. I had a football season too, right? I think they mm-hmm. pounced on an opportunity here. Uh, the previous largest, I think, U.S. record for volleyball was at uh, Nationwide Arena in Columbus for like the NCAAs, and that was a sold out eighteen or 19,000. But this exceeded the Women's World Cup when mm-hmm. it was hosted at the Rose Bowl, the final, uh, going back a, a number of years now. But that was 91,000 was the old mark, and they topped it by 1,000. Wow. So we're going to do these new international hockey rules here. Do you have that amongst your hashtags? Because this was something we kicked around yesterday and decided it wasn't on yesterday's show, but we decided we were going to get back to it here today at G Miller TSN. And I liked your quote tweet of it, but I'm going to get to Gordon Miller laying it out for us. This is new international uh, rules for the champions league. Yes. So this isn't coming to the world championships just yet. It's being test driven in the European Champions League. This is hockey's Champions League, just right. to be yep. clear. A team will remain shorthanded even if the opposing team scores a goal. A minor penalty will be served even if a goal is scored while a delayed penalty is pending. If a shorthanded team scores, the minor penalty against will end. So this is pretty significant in terms of changing the whole way, really, special teams are played to some, well, not the way they're played, but changing the um, heft the weight, if you will, of special teams. Uh, your quote team, your quote tweet is, imagine teams going to town for a full two minutes a couple of times a game against the Canucks 60% PK when it was at its low point last season. Do you like the rules? Could you ever see the NHL looking? I, I don't. In fact, I, I like them in reverse order. I like incentivizing the shorthanded thing to end the penalty kill. I kind of like that. And I think it would force some teams to think about the way that they kill penalties, maybe take some chances. But if you're taking chances on the penalty kill, that's going to blow up in your face more often than not. But I still like that idea that if you score a shorty, not only do you get a goal, but you end your penalty. Uh, Delayed penalty, serving a that no real issues there. I could live with that. I don't like the idea of a full two minutes no. on the power play. I don't. I just, I, I think we're at a point in time. Was that a rule once upon a time in the NHL? I think like a hundred years ago. Yes. <laughs> but I just think we're at a point in time now where we value five on five play. Like all the statistics that are trotted out and the underlying numbers all relate to five on five play. I don't need more power play time. Like if the power plays are six to four in a game, you're looking at 20 full minutes of power play time. And I just, to me, it, it's too penal. And again, mm-hmm. maybe using the Canucks last year as an example, like their penalty kill was dreadful. I, I wouldn't want to sit and watch as teams just continued to work them and pump them on the power play because they can't kill penalties. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I saw lots of chatter in social spaces and there were, you know, convincing arguments on both sides. I just I'm of the opinion I don't need more special teams time within the game, so I don't like the idea of the full two minutes. Yeah, I thought maybe back in the day it was a full two. I thought it was a Gret, perhaps a Gretzky rule change. We'll get to that for Ethanos 
tomorrow. But you're you're quite right. If you're terrible on the penalty kill or you're great on the power play, suddenly this changes the whole gambit for you out there on the ice. You got any more? I do. Uh, Sarah Langs at Slangs on Sports. The top three teams in the American League West are all separated by a game or fewer. It's the third time since divisions began in 1969 that three teams in the same division were within a game or fewer of the lead entering September. You got to go back to 1980, the National League East, and 1969 for the National League West. So this doesn't happen. Lots of two-horse races, but we Mm -hmm. don't see three-horse races within the division, and it really is going to be a sprint to the finish here. And uh, it should be a fantastic one, and I'm afraid... uh... I'm afraid Canada's team is going to be left behind here when the postseason bracket is complete. Well, the Mariners finish with 10 straight against either Texas or Houston. Mm-hmm. And so it's all there in front of them. But the flip side there for the Jays is that somebody's going to be losing every night there as well. So well, the problem for the Jays is Chapman and Bichette. Fair enough. That's fair and they enough. do not hit when runners are in scoring position. No. They are absolutely as bad as I've ever seen as a team. And that's hashtags for today. So Carson Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. To the people we go is brought to you by our man of the people, Jason Hominick of Jason Dot Mortgage. And here's the thing. Jason doesn't just do residential mortgages. He does commercial too. If you're a business owner looking to build, looking to buy your building, a builder or developer looking for options beyond your bank, get Jason's expert opinion. Find him at jason.mortgage. Jeff, we got a lot of terrific responses uh, responses to yesterday's Bodog poll question. Is the lack of a practice facility holding the Vancouver Canucks back? So I'm going to have Adam, you tell me what you think. Brett says the entire region has dragged its feet on hockey arenas. Given the amount of money that has hit Vancouver, we should have more community centers and ice rinks than anywhere in Canada. Well, I, I'm just blown away by the growth of downtown Vancouver, the population growth, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Coal Harbor, whether it's Yale Town, yep. and it's just so criminally underserved uh, with some of those recreational facilities, most notably ice. And mm-hmm. when you've got a pro team that's looking for a practice facility, it's just begging, I think, for some sort of partnership right. to come together here. I got to say, when I first moved here 16 years ago, I was blown away by the facility. It's like, oh, my goodness. And when I inquired about it, the story I got was, look, naturally frozen ice hasn't happened here for a long time. So we needed these indoor ice pads more than other regions of Canada because of how moderate the climate is here, um, but you're quite right about the downtown core. I mean, certainly there hasn't been anything by way of development there. Mike says the third tower, the southeast corner of Rogers Arena, has been in development for over 10 years. I think you will see this before a practice facility. Also, the project across the street, if they had land zoned, it still would take approximately two to three years to complete. Paul says, it's of a piece showing the franchise is second rate. Players can get the same lifestyle, a better run organization, better run organization, a lower taxes down the road in Seattle. And you may have noticed Dan Milsing mentioned taxes there when talking about Kuzmenko resigning in Vancouver, said it certainly wasn't for the taxes. This is becoming a bigger issue, Jeff. 
these tax-free jurisdictions are gaining a competitive advantage by being able to guarantee the player is going to take home more of his actual salary. This is something that the NHL may have to cure going forward. Right, and that's not on the Canucks, but it is certainly something that the Canucks have to deal with, and not mm-hmm. just the Canucks, other Canadian teams in particular. Um, it was funny. like I got a lot of pushback yesterday from people that, you know, this isn't an issue at all. You guys are just making a big deal out of nothing here. Uh, I think in the world of professional sports, but really in any business, if your competitors, if the companies that you're in competition with have raised the bar to a certain point, you know, employees have expectations, mm-hmm. and especially professional athletes. And so I think it's a bare minimum that you provide the best work environment possible where every little competitive advantage can help the hockey club. And so, you know, I, I just think it's indisputable that the Canucks have fallen behind mm-hmm. on this file without a doubt. Well, here's some of the pushback you talked about. Pete's pucks holding the Canucks back. Number one, ownership. Number two, management. Hockey rules one says not making sound decisions and signing, drafting, and trading for players are the main obstacles over the years. You can blame the management and ownership for that. Needing a practice rink is secondary. Chuck says the difference between success and failure for professional athletes is often measured in inches or milliseconds. Daily routines, the schedule, often down to the minute. Adding a 45-minute commute to and from UBC might mean giving up the extra 10 minutes after practice to work a little more on one-timers or power play zone entries that didn't quite work. Wins and losses come down to the small details. Every little bit adds up. And that's sound, Chuck. Leif, yes, I don't get the feeling Rogers Arena has industry-leading sports science facilities. Auto says, add it to the long list. And then PBAT says, a lack of talent has held them back. Anything else <laughs> is just an excuse. Here's a reply from Chris on the welcome mat about how high the stakes are for the Canucks this season, trying to keep Pedersen in the fold. Chris says, if ownership won't take responsibility for improving the team, I guess the players have to. I've heard a lot on the doomsday scenario if Elias Patterson asks out. Jeff, do you think that would finally convince Canucks ownership and management to do a proper rebuild if this season went poorly and Pedersen indicated a preference of playing elsewhere? Well, I thought about this a fair bit, and I do think if Pedersen goes, Quinn Hughes is out that same door, right? Like if Elias Pedersen leaves, I think at that point Quinn Hughes says – what am I doing here? There is no real future in terms of, you know, competing for a Stanley Cup in the foreseeable future. And we know there are a lot of people that think at some point in his playing career, Quinn Hughes is going to wind up uh, orchestrating a deal or as a free agent signing to play with his brothers. So uh, I think if Pedersen goes, Hughes probably follows. And at that point, uh, essentially the bottom has fallen out. And I don't think really at, at that stage, there isn't, any other option than to go into full-on rebuild. So again, get way out of ourselves. I get that, mm-hmm. and that is the doomsday scenario, uh, and that's why uh, there is such importance on this season and really uh, from training camp to October 11th on opening night. Like, it has to start at the start mm-hmm. for the Vancouver Canucks this year. Here are YouTube comments on our Dan Milstein interview. Elder71 says, Kuzmenko is always in the right spot at the right time and finds stealth ways to get in those spots. That's a talent. 
and that doesn't go away. The tap-ins won't go away. He will hit 40 to 55 goals, and the contract talks will be about Petey. And now Kuzmenko, too. Um, McGee says he could, could be better than that. He could be OV 2.0 because he doesn't just score from the circle. He gets in front of the net, too. He could be amazing. He's in the best shape ever. Can't wait. Verdia says, I think he'll hit 40 goals this year. And then Rex says he thinks he was over there on the beach to party and not work out. But we've had edification here that Indonesia is one of the more accessible places for Russians these days. Mm -hmm. And so that may well be what drove him to Bali. And as we have talked about, he wasn't able to go home this summer. And so you did have to get some family time in. Why not take him to a terrific place like Bali? You know, it's something that really hasn't been discussed, but what if he does back up a 39-goal season with a 40-plus-goal season? This is the first of the two-year extension. He's eligible to sign next summer. Next summer. I know. I know. Now, the cap's going up, and so room for all, mm-hmm. you'd think, but still. And the cap may even go up further the following summer when he'll be UFA, so he would be in a heck of a spot, Jeff, if he could improve on that 49 goal, or on that 39-goal season of last year. Um, tell me I'm wrong from calling and planning. The weak Alberta teams have created a false sense of security for the BC Lions. They are now under 500 versus the rest of the CFL. Must fix their play at the line of scrimmage on both sides if they are to fix this. We mentioned this yesterday. I can't tell him he's wrong. No. You have, look, and I, Calgary's not Edmonton terrible, and Edmonton has won a couple of games here. But Colin is right in that we fattened up here on the Stamps and Elks. It's time to get some other wins, and and in Montreal at Molson Stadium would be a good one for them. don't want a three-game losing streak all of a sudden in the middle of the season. That brings in a lot more questions, I think, about this team. So, yeah, significant stakes here Mm. on Labor Day. Jason, memo to Mike Trout. Thank you for showing me the disadvantages of signing long-term with a team that's perennially, quote, almost there, signed Elias Pettersson. And then this, a hot take from our friend J.C., In an effort to make the Sunday of the Ryder Cup more compelling, individual matches 7 through 11 will be worth two points, and the 12th individual match, the last one, will be worth three points. This would be a significant change to Ryder Cup format, but it would, and I was watching some highlights of previous Ryder Cups, including the one at uh, Le National in France four years ago, where... Somebody ends the match on Sunday and you've got like four or five different individual matches on course, which is always a bit of an oddity that you have these effectively, they turn into exhibitions once the cup is clinched one side or the other. What do you think? Well, to your point, I mean, that was Payne Stewart, you know, shaking the hand of Colin Montgomery, essentially after the outcome had been decided way back when, and it was this, you know, sportsmanship and you know, then it doesn't go on Colin Montgomery's record as a as a loss because that match didn't determine the outcome right. of the overall Ryder Cup. This thing sizzles to me, like Dude, right to it? the top of like history. Be damned! And th- th- that's mm-hmm. the problem is that you know there's too many that are stuck in their ways with the history of the Ryder Cup. But I love this idea, like the idea of the st- there's already strategy that goes into trying to figure out if you're going to front end load your matches or 
you know, save one of your two of your horses for the mm-hmm. back end, but it would guarantee like three points for that final match. Like it would guarantee Scotty Scheffler against John Hovland or John Rory or, Rory or, Rory. or Rory. Yep. Like, you know that you would get the star mm-hmm. power. And then even in the back end matches, you'd get a fair bit of that Absolutely. as well. So Absolutely. No, I like this. I, I, it would build drama, not just because of the uh, weighted point system, but because of the personalities you'd be waiting to tee off less. I'm with you, Jeff. JC, brilliant stuff here. We should make you the chairman of the Ryder Cup. I can just this, imagine the the team captains. All right, you schleps, you guys are out in the, in the, in the one-point matches. I'm a one-pointer. <laughs> exactly. Sizzles for me as well. Bacon, baby. Secure's Price from Wall Center. Presentation Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips? It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. Um, I have one. I said we'll talk to Frank Thursday. We at one point had Frank on Thursdays, but we now have Frank Corrado on Wednesday, so my bad. And uh, I think we corrected yours yesterday in the moments. But Well, I said the college football season was starting this weekend, and for most programs it is. But as you pointed out, uh, yeah. there is a week zero and a few games, including the one over in mm-hmm. Dublin, were played last weekend it's a uh, a new thing as of the last few years in college football you're allowed to play like once every so many years you're allowed to play a quote-unquote week zero game in august before the festivities get going on labor day weekend all right time for jeff's bodog line of the day bodog your source free casino games poker strategy and sports odds so you like what you got still a couple of weeks away from the start of the national football league season but bodog has uh, some props out there if you are thinking about Total victories for, well, all of the teams, but look at the Seahawks. You can get the Seahawks at over 10 and a half. And I've seen a lot of predictions and publications that have them sort of in that neighborhood of 11 and 6 this year. If you think that they can win more than 10 and a half games, you can get them right now at plus 165. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social. That's Insta, Twitter. TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.